Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 and 22. So sad. So sad to be down at the end of the book. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Tychicus is a faithful minister of the Lord. That is really all we know about him. We see him five times in the New Testament. He's sprinkled throughout the New Testament at different stages of his own life, at different stages of redemptive history, of different stages of the development of the New Testament. He's there repeatedly. The most descriptions we have of him is right here, that he is beloved, he's a brother, he's a faithful minister in the Lord. Now, the fact that we know so little about him except that, but that he is so well known because of that, should grab your attention and let you know that though there are often crowds of people in churches, it does not appear that there are a lot of faithful ministers. The word minister can be uh, rendered servant even, uh, deacon, somebody who faithfully serves alongside minister is the act of serving another person. Uh, he certainly is recognized as a deacon by repeated references to him in the New Testament. He's recognized for his faithful service in the Lord. That's what it means to be a deacon. He's recognized in that way. But I just can't help be struck by the fact that there are so many people in the churches Paul spe speaks at. Uh, when, you see, when you first meet Tychicus, who is from the Ephesus region, he's there in Ephesus. Paul's preaching in the auditorium that is packed with people, thousands of people. There's a riot. Remember, they all turned against him. Paul wants to go in and address the riot to calm them down, which will never stop being funny to me. <laughs> like the rioting against the gospel. And Paul says, oh, let me just explain things to them. Maybe that'll calm them down. And of course, people didn't let him in to do that. Paul eventually gets thrown out of Ephesus and has to flee. But again, just massive amounts of people there. But how many of them are referred to as faithful ministers of the Lord? How many of them were uh, faithful to Paul and loyal to Paul throughout his, his ministry? Very, very few. Very few. Take guess the other detail we have from Acts chapter 20. He was Asian. He's described as Asian in Acts chapter 20, along with Trophimus. Those two in the list of Paul's traveling companions that left Ephesus with him, two of them are identified as Asian. I don't, mean, I don't know if that means they're ethnically Asian or just that they're from that region of Asia Minor. Uh, Ephesus is towards the north side of Asia Minor, so maybe they were just from that area. But beyond, the, beyond him being identified as Asian and a faithful minister, there's not a lot revealed about him. But I do want to take what is known about him and extract from it a bit of an outline tonight. Uh, what makes a faithful minister? And I'm going to give you, as I look at my notes, four points uh, about what makes a faithful minister. And I hope that this is an encouragement to you. Um, I hope as we looked at this list that you um, can apply this to your own life and take away from it uh, a motivating uh, factor that will help you be a faithful minister in the Lord. I, I know that it's, you know, some people give pause when you study a scripture passage and take character lessons from a person, you know, don't be like David, people say. But I really do think there are some passages that the point of them being in the Bible is that you should be like David in those areas. And Tychicus is certainly one of those examples. He is held out to us through the inspired word of God as a faithful minister 
And so it's right for us to look at him and see what he does that makes him faithful. And the first uh, thing that just jumps out is that he's loved by others. Um, I don't want this to be too pedantic here, but it does say that he's a beloved brother. Um, he'll be recognized because he's a beloved brother. There's no electronic signatures back in the, the Roman Empire here. There's no facial recognition, fingerprint identity. Um, there's no sing- signature verification. And so Paul is forced to sign off of his, all of his letters with some explanation or some proof that it's really him. So sometimes they'll put in a, a fact about the people he's writing to that only he would know. You see that, uh, for example, with the Corinthians. Sometimes he gives his signature line. He says, hey, look at my signature line. Only I write, you know, with such big letters, which lets you know that the rest of the book was written probably by an amanuensis, but he just signed it off. That's in Galatians. But here uh, he has the signature line is the person who's bringing it. So he's saying, Tychicus is going to roll in to Ephesus. He's going to have this letter. And so you're going to know it's from me because you love him. That's the signature verification. And you see this with the uh, Corinthians as well, where Paul says, I don't need to prove to you that it's me writing this because you are my verification. He tells the Corinthians, Uh, you are written on my heart. My word should be written on your heart. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you, we know each other. So that's what's happening here with Tychicus. Paul's telling the Ephesians that you know him and you love him, so receive this as if it was from me. He wouldn't deceive you. He wouldn't show up with forgery. So you can just pause for a second and just marvel that Tychicus is the kind of person that is so loved that everybody trusts him and trusts what he says. When he opens his mouth, he is trustworthy. And so you might take one more step behind that and say, uh, this is what I, I did thinking through this passage. I thought, who are the kind of people that I, that I love like this? Who are the kind of people that you would say, hey, I need to get a message to Jesse, so I'm going to send it through this person because I know that he loves that person and will, will listen to him. He'll believe the message if it's from that person. And, you know, so I'm jotting down, of course, my family members. I love them. I trust them. Uh, Many of you are talking to me and often interrupted by one of my family members running into the conversation, which I just love. So that's just life right there. Um, But after you go beyond that circle of family members, the kind of people that that I trust and love are people that are are humble and they're servants. They they just humbly serve the Lord. And that makes them trustworthy. And I think if you're going to be honest in your own heart, you would probably see the same thing. You might have friends that are more charismatic and gregarious and outgoing, and you, you like them for those reasons, but are they trustworthy? Um, honestly, what makes somebody trustworthy is probably seen in their humility. They're not putting themselves forward. They're content to just serve the Lord and serve you while they serve the Lord. They point to Christ and not to themselves. And that's certainly true in Tychicus's case. He's a beloved brother. And you see is what he's going to be bringing is a letter that's not pointing to Tychicus, but pointing to Paul and then through Paul back to Jesus. This is humility. As I mentioned, we see him five times. He is not a Peter. We don't see his speeches from him. We don't get Tychicus putting himself forward. We don't get him volunteering for things. We see him doing things, but not volunteering for them. The result is that Tychicus is not a famous Christian. Um, But are there any famous Christians? (laughs) Uh, The youth retreat uh, that I was at, they brought in a famous Christian musician to be the, um, um, to help. Well, he taught a few times to the students. He was a Christian rapper and there was an open Q&A for the students where they got to ask this famous Christian rapper anything. And the first question he was asked by this high school sophomore was, 
what's it like to be a famous Christian? And his answer has always stuck with me. He said, there's no such thing as a famous Christian. That's like saying there's a famous backgammon player. So let that sink in for a second. I love backgammon, by the way. I love backgammon. I have a big book propped up in my office. It's like the only book that's on display in my office. It's called Backgammon, The Cruelest Game. I have all the opening moves memorized, and I will argue about them right now. But you know, I can't name a single backgammon player, other than myself, of course. There's such a thing as a famous backgammon player. And in that sense, there should be no such thing as a famous Christian. There's no Christian that puts themselves forward. And that's hard for us in our, you know, I gave away books earlier. You know, it's hard for us in our Christian world or evangelical world where there are blogs and there's books published and there's, you know, pastors with big churches and pastors with smaller churches and pastors that are well known. And, uh, you know, really in the world, nobody cares. Nobody cares. From the world's perspective, they might care about a pastor. If he like endorses a presidential candidate, they might be angry at him. Or if he endorses another presidential candidate, they might be okay with him. But honestly, beyond politics, the world does not care about Christians at all. At all. There's no such thing as a famous Christian. Christians that we think are famous are totally anonymous in the world. Totally and completely anonymous. Um, well, that's the way it ought to be. And that's certainly the way it is with Tychicus. But believers recognize him as somebody who is humble. Humble and godly. And so the first mark of being a faithful minister is being somebody who is loved by others. The second mark of being a faithful minister is uh, being both a leader and a follower. And this is what is, um, one author refers to as the paradox of Christian leadership. Tom Askell in his book, Letters to Timothy, describes this as the most fundamental element of Christian leadership, this paradox um, that a Christian leader is both a leader and a follower. A Christian shepherd is both a shepherd and a sheep himself. An elder is under authority and in authority, Hebrews 13 says. So you see that dynamic at play with every level of spiritual leadership. Even in the home, a father or a mother is an authority in the home, but they are under a higher authority. You see that in the church where elders have authority, Paul says in Hebrews 13, to be leaders in the church. Yet at the same time, they themselves are under the authority of Christ. Peter describes elders as shepherds. And they're under shepherds. They're serving under the shepherd. There's the great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus. Then there's under shepherds. These are the elders and pastors that care for the congregation and the flock. But the shepherds themselves are sheep. And you even see that in interpersonal relationships in the church where pastors are friends with one another but are also in leadership with each other. Where you're friends with an elder but... The elder is also in leadership in the church or elders that are friends with each other, but in a hierarchical structure themselves. That's what it is with Tychicus. Like there's no confusion with Tychicus that he's a leader in the church. He's an elder in the church, but he's also serving under the apostle Paul. He says here, look, you even see the language. I, I sent Tychicus to you in verse 21. Verse 22, I sent him to you. There's no ambiguity about authority here. Paul is the one who is directing Tychicus. Tychicus is both a leader of others, they're gonna receive him as a leader. And yet he's also a follower. He's also one who is sent. Tychicus is gonna end up pastoring the church in Ephesus, by the way. By the end of his life, he's gonna end up being the pastor of this church. I think that's pretty cool. He's a beloved person that got saved, probably if not in Ephesus, in the area around Ephesus and grew up there. 
leaves there with Paul, comes back and ends up being their own pastor. He's both a leader in the congregation, but he's also a follower of Paul and a follower of Christ. We know Paul says, you know, nobody should follow him, everybody should follow Christ. But the reality is that Paul was exercising authority in the Ephesian church as demonstrated by his own ministry there in Acts chapter 20, 19 and 20, and then here in Ephesians as well. It's very difficult to navigate that well, that dynamic well. You see it with Jesus too. Jesus led his apostles and yet he also was a servant to them. He also was a servant of the Lord. He had authority in and of himself, Jesus did, but he also said he has no authority in him except that which came from his father. Both statements are true. You know, he washes his disciples' feet, but then he commands them and gives them orders. He says, put away your sword. Right after he washes the feet, he tells Peter, put away your sword. He rebukes them for not praying and wakes them up, but he also serves them by praying for them and washing their feet. That is, as Askell describes it, the paradox of Christian leadership. You know, the, what makes somebody an effective leader and minister in the church is just that, the willingness to lead and the willingness to serve. Most people can fall off one side of the horse or the other. It's very difficult to navigate that well. And that's probably why there are not that many people who are known as faithful ministers in the Lord. You know, there's two deadly errors that people can fall into. One is pride and arrogance, putting yourself forward, asserting yourself as the leader. And the other is passivity and taking yourself out. And most people fluctuate between those two extremes. And that's true in the world. That's certainly true in the church. Or most Christians would be fine maybe leading something or fine walking away from something. Difficult to find people who faithfully serve, who faithfully serve. Again, you think of this in, in marriage. Husbands fluctuate between those two extremes very easily in marriage. From passivity, fine, you don't want to listen to me, then do it your way. I'm out. If you need me, I'll be in the garage. <laughs> Versus authoritative leadership. No, we're doing it this way. This is what I want. And very difficult to find a godly husband who navigates those two. And both of those are errors, right? Both of those are errors. Putting yourself forward as the authority, my way or the highway, and becoming passive and being like, all right, whatevs, you do you. Very difficult to find a husband that navigates those two extremes. The same thing is true in church. Self-protecting passivity is a deadly error, but so also is self-serving leadership. And again, most people will put themselves forward for leadership or they will shrink away into the background. It's very difficult to find a Tychicus who is faithful to whatever task is in front of him. I remember reading a... a decision points or turning points, whatever the George Bush autobiography was about his time as president. And there was a little thing in there that I had, had circled uh, by, by Dick Cheney back before he was named as the um, vice presidential candidate for Bush. Bush asked him, what do you think are the criteria you're looking for in a good vice president? And Cheney had four. This is, bef again, before he was named the, the person. Um, and I, I wrote him down, share him with you now. Cheney said, a good vice president is available. I love that first one because <laughs> you can overlook it. Like he'll actually do it. He's available. He's free to do it. He's willing. He'll say yes when you ask him. He's confident and he's direct. Those are the four points. He's confident in himself. He's direct. He's free. And he's also going to say yes when you ask him. And you think those are such basic things. But again, he ended up being the vice presidential candidate. <laughs> they couldn't find anybody else that met those four criteria right there. 
they're way more uncommon than you might imagine. Somebody who's able to serve, willing to serve, confident enough to serve, confident in their own skin and who they are, and direct enough to speak the truth. And the reason I think it's difficult to find somebody like that is because jealousy always creeps in. Jealousy always creeps in. You think of Numbers chapter 12 with Miriam and Aaron. Remember how jealousy crept in with them? They'd been with Moses for decades. But in the wilderness, they got bitter with him. And they started Numbers chapter 12 by saying, did the Lord really only speak to Moses? Now, Moses never said the Lord only spoke to me, but true enough, Moses is the one who went into the tent and the Lord did reveal himself to Moses. And by the way, if you're gonna say the Lord only spoke to Moses, it is in fairness to Moses, you have to remember how that went down. All of Israel was gathered there and the Lord started to speak to all of them, remember? And they begged that the Lord be quiet and they pushed Moses up the mountain. And then Moses comes back down and they're all worshiping the golden calves. So that's how it went down in point of fact. And yet by Numbers 12, they're mad at Moses and saying, did the Lord really only speak to Moses? Yeah, because you guys wouldn't go with him. And so they got jealous at him and bitter at him. And the Lord, of course, punished them for that. That's another testimony of faithful servanthood in the church, that you're not overcome with jealousy, that you're willing to lead when asked and you're willing to defer. Thirdly, that you're able to encourage others. You're able to encourage others. I don't wanna lose sight of what the text is actually here. I don't wanna read too much into the white spaces. There is actual text here. Tychicus is gonna come and he's gonna have a function. He's gonna tell you everything. So beyond what's written in the book of Ephesians, Tychicus is gonna come and he's gonna open his mouth and he's going to tell you all that's happening with the Apostle Paul. Now, there could be different ways to describe all that's happening with the Apostle Paul. And you can substitute your own messenger into this. So think of different people that could be with Paul and how they would report what's happening to Paul, okay? So you might have somebody who comes from Rome and says, oh, it's horrible. It's guard after guard and he's in chains and the guards have those shoes on with studs everywhere and the swords and they're yelling at Paul and he keeps getting drugged from house to house and uh, you know, Caesar's household is those guards, the top guards in the Roman Empire are after him. That's how much they hate him is, is the, the guard's boss, that guy's boss is abusing Paul and it's, it's, he's, he's not gonna make it through the winter, I'll tell you that right now. That could be one version of the report that gets out and that would all be true. Would that be an encouraging report? <laughs> oh. Notice verse 22. I sent him to you so you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Remember how Paul, we talked about this this morning. Paul's not asking them to pray that his condition gets better. He's not asking them to pray that the guards get nicer. He's not asking them to pray for better prison food. He's, in, a, in the book of Ephesians, he's not asking for them to pray for his material needs, for his food and his finances. I mean, in the Roman Empire, they're not actually, I joke about prison food, they're not actually providing him food. You know, he gets food from people who bring it to him. And he's gonna write to other churches and ask for money and ask for resources to, to help meet his material needs. But that's not what he's asking the Ephesians. He doesn't want this to go off the rails. Tychicus is not coming to ask for money for Paul. He's coming for one purpose, to encourage the church in Ephesus. That's the goal of his message. It's supposed to be an encouragement. It's supposed to be an encouragement. 
And it will be an encouragement. Their hearts will be encouraged when they find out how Paul is and verse 21, the everything that's happening to him. Tychicus is the kind of guy that is able to share what the Lord is doing in his life at all times in a way that is an actual encouragement to those that hear it. And perhaps you know people in your life like that. But I reiterate, it's much more rare than one would imagine to have somebody who always has like a ready word on their mouth. You know, you ask them, what are you learning in the Lord? And they've got an answer. You know, tell me something that's encouraging that's happening in your life right now. And they got an answer. How are things going? They have an answer that's encouraging that comes out of their mouth, not an answer that's like, oh, here's the six things that are wrong in my life right now. Would you pray for those? And of course, it's a delight and a joy to pray for people. But over time, not just as a pastor, but as a Christian, over time, you learn to develop an affinity and a friendship with people that are genuinely encouraging, not genuinely discouraging. This is the dream passage. I, I, I read this passage of Stephen Procopio this week and uh, talked about it. And he was like, this is the, he's the church's communications director. He was like, this is the dream passage for a communications director right here. <laughs> this is it. Here's your task. Say what the Lord is doing in a way that encourages other people. <laughs> so for me, this is like an overlooked verse, but Procopio like lives in this verse. <laughs> I get to explain to other people what's going on in the Lord in a way that's encouraging them. And I hope that's a challenge to you. Taking your own life, this is a challenge to, are you ready? Do you have a ready word in your mouth? How are things going in your life? Are you able to articulate them in a way that brings encouragement to those that hear or discouragement to those that hear? Tychicus was able to bring news about the beloved Apostle Paul in prison where he will die a martyr's death in a way that brings encouragement to people. And that's what marks him, the ability to encourage others. So what makes a faithful minister? One, somebody who's loved by others. It's probably speaking of humility and godliness. Two, he's both a leader and a follower, speaking of his ability to fight off jealousy and pride in his life, but also his willingness and availability to serve. Third, he's able to actually encourage others, speaking of the content of his speech and how it directs people towards Christ. And then finally, fourth, he's in it for the long haul. He's in it for the long haul. So what I love about Tychicus, something I, I did this week, is I made a timeline of his life. And it jumped out to me that you see him at the front end of Paul's ministry and you see him at the tail end of Paul's ministry. He was not, you know, he was not John Mark. You know, John Mark went on one trip with Paul and then bounced, you know, and it was not an excused absence when he went away. And that caused all kinds of strife in the book of Acts. And Mark eventually gets restored later on in his life. And Paul and John Mark ends in that sense, perhaps reconciled. You know, John Mark ends following the Lord and, and all that. But there's just always that question mark when you talk about John Mark. And there's other people with Paul that are like that. You know, Demas, you know, abandons him because he loves the world. And, you know, whatever happened to Demas? Meanwhile, there's no such question marks around Tychicus. You see him at the beginning of Paul's ministry. You see him at the end of Paul's ministry. You see him doing all kinds of things in Paul's ministry. He's there for the long haul to help you get your mind around that. I have a little outline of Tychicus's life for you. Uh, if this is interesting to you, you can jot it down. If it's not, you're not going to be quizzing this later. You know, when you die, you're not going to be asked, where was Tychicus in 54 AD? That's, if you get it wrong, no heaven for you. Uh, but I think this is interesting. He was probably saved around 54. He's from Asia Minor. This is when Paul started his ministry uh, in that part of the world. And so he's probably saved around then. He's probably, I mean, 
it's only a guess how old he was, but I'm going to go with 16 because that's how old Nero was in that time period. And so I'm going to track Tychicus's life with Nero's life. Nero was 16. Tychicus, when Nero was 16, Nero became an emperor. Tychicus became a Christian. If you're familiar with Nero's story, which is going to intersect in several ways with Tychicus, uh, if you're familiar with his story, he is, you know, Nero's dad died. His mom married the emperor. Nero was basically adopted into the emperor's family. And when he was uh, 16, he became emperor. Some people say 14. I don't really know. I don't know enough about Roman history to solve that dispute. But the Wikipedia page six, said 16. And so if you can't trust Wikipedia, who can you trust? <laughs> Meanwhile, Tychicus comes to faith around that same time. 57, Tychicus is in Ephesus. We know that from Acts chapter 20. That's probably uh, where he was serving the Lord. Paul gets chased out of Ephesus with the riot and all that. He's forced to flee to Troas. And Tychicus goes with him. There's only a certain number of people, eight or so people that are named in Acts 20, that leave Ephesus with Paul. So he shows up there, he preaches the gospel, things go crazy, the Jews riot, the Romans riot, everybody riots, you know, great as Diana and all that stuff is happening there. And so Paul flees and he brings a small group of people with him, one of whom is Tychicus. The, the other names uh, don't necessarily repeat again later on in scripture, but Tychicus does. And so it's interesting, he leaves with Paul. They go to Troas together. And then in Troas, they split up and Tychicus goes on ahead of Paul. It goes eight days ahead of Paul. Uh, travels out before Paul does to make preparations to receive Paul over in Philippi. And so Tychicus is, he's like the short-term setup trip here. And I, I like that because he wasn't traveling with Paul to be known by Paul. He wasn't traveling Paul to serve Paul personally. He was one of those guys who was willing to leave his city to serve Paul and then leave Paul if it served him better somewhere else. Just plant that in your mind because you're gonna see that throughout his life. So they get to Troas. He remember, he just left his life. You know, Tychicus walked away from everything in his life to leave with the Apostle Paul. And then not long after that, he, Paul needs a group of guys to go set up the next place for him. This is like the short-term mission preparation trip, the scouting trip. <laughs> and Tychicus goes in that, separates from Paul to go get things ready for him in the next, the next city. I, I mean, I think I find that a remarkable form of humility and service that he'd be willing to do that. See him again. Six years later in Rome, when the book of Ephesians and Colossians were written, um, they were written, I think, when Paul was in jail in Rome, in custody in Rome. There are those that argue and maybe say he wrote them when he was um, in Caesarea Maritime, but I think it's more likely he wrote them in Rome. But uh, regardless, Ephesians and Colossians were written more or less together, if not simultaneously, and they were both sent with Tychicus. And so Tychicus is going to go to Colossae and then to Ephesus, bringing both these books, these, uh, these two verses, verses 21 and 22, are almost identically uh, seen at the end of Colossians as well. And so Tychicus would be known in both places. They're both in Asia Minor. They'd both, you know, at this point in his ministry, uh, he's been with the Apostle Paul now for, you know, six or seven years, five or six years. People know him. They know him. So he's been along Paul to the, alongside Paul for so long. People are familiar with him and accustomed to him. And he brings... Uh, the letter with them, 62 AD. 64 AD, he's not sent to Crete. And when I say not sent to Crete, this is what I mean. In Titus, Paul is writing to Titus. 
He says, Titus, hold on a little bit longer. I'm going to send relief to you. I'm going to send a different pastor to you so that you can come join me. Paul is nearing the end of his life here. He's still in custody. He's still in prison. And he wants Titus to be with him for this last lap of his life. So he says, I'm going to send one of two guys. And I love that Paul names them, Artemis or Tychicus. One of them is going to come to you, Artemis or Tychicus. And it turns out it's not Tychicus. So I don't know what the candidating process was like back then, but I project my own lived experience onto that exchange right there where Tychicus is interested in going to Crete. Like he's clearly communicated to Paul, I would do that. We don't know if Tychicus had been a pastor yet. I mean, Crete would be a hard place to be a pastor. There are a bunch of gluttons and drunkards and lazy devils. And, and we know that because the Bible says that. And so it's true. It's a hard place to be a pastor. But Tychicus is down for it and tells Paul, I want to do that. Now, it is impossible for me to conceive of somebody who would put himself forward for an opportunity like that and not be disappointed that it didn't happen. I mean, I, I can't imagine. Again, we don't know a lot of the details except that Paul said, he's interested. I might send him. And he ends up sending Artemis instead. How does, Tychicus respond, uh, how does, he respond, how does Tychicus respond to that? Does he get bitter? Does he leave? Does he harbor resentment in his heart? Does he fight off jealousy? We don't know, but we know that he stays with Paul through that time. Stays with Paul and is okay not going to Crete. You can jump forward from there to 67. To 67, he is sent to Ephesus. So the smaller church door closed and he ends up pastoring the larger church. He, I mean, Ephesus is a way better church than Crete from worldly standards and from spiritual standards. Again, the Cretans who had serious problems Ephesus is probably the godliest and most mature church in the New Testament. And so whatever disappointment he had in 64 about not going to Crete, he uh, receives with joy the opportunity to go be the pastor in Ephesus. And this is, you know, this is five years after he delivered the book of Ephesians to them. Maybe he preached when he was there. Maybe that was his candidating sermon. Five years later, they got back to him. Um, but he ends up serving there. Now, what else happened in 67 AD? Nero, who's now been emperor, wins the Olympics. Now, when I say wins the Olympics, what I mean by that is he ordered by imperial decree the Olympics to be delayed that year so he'd have time to travel there. He travels there. He enters himself in the chariot race. His chariot breaks, does not finish the race, and he orders the, judge to, the judges to award him the gold medal, claiming he was cheated. You can do that when you're an Olympian and the emperor. So he wins the gold medal in the Olympics. He also introduces two new events to the Olympics. This is not according to Wikipedia. This is actual Roman historians describe this. He introduced singing and drama into the Olympics. Two very subjective categories. He entered himself and to the shock of absolutely nobody, he won both. So Nero is a three-time gold medalist in the chariot race, singing and drama. I don't know exactly how this worked because a few years after this, the Olympic Committee struck Nero from their records saying there was undue influence on the judges. I don't know. Who, who will ever know? How can, 
How can we navigate that? It's impossible. Meanwhile, Tychicus is faithfully being a pastor in Ephesus. So it's probably worth asking, would you rather be a three-time gold medalist or a faithful minister of the Lord? For some people, that might legitimately be a hard question. I mean, I mean it with a little bit of humor involved, but it's a question that some of you might need to ask yourself very seriously. Would you rather spend your life pursuing dreams in sports? Would you rather spend your life pursuing dreams in business or music? Would you rather spend your life pursuing dreams that will eventually put you at odds with being a faithful minister of the Lord? You know, Nero, if you know anything about Nero, you know that he put himself forward at every opportunity. He murdered people if he needed to murder them. He threatened judges if he needed to threaten them. He burned his own city down because he thought it would elevate himself a little. Would you rather do that or be a faithful minister of the Lord that people don't know anything about really other than that he served Jesus? As you think about your answer to that question, 68, both Paul and Nero die. Paul, Tychicus's mentor, martyred in 68 AD. Nero commits suicide. The Olympic medals, not quite all he thought they would be. Turning your mind back to Tychicus again, it's worth marveling. When I say he's in it for the long haul, that's what I mean. He followed Paul everywhere, stayed at his side, served him. When Paul needed him to go ahead of him, he went ahead of him. When Paul needed to go to another city to be an interim pastor, he was willing to do that. And then when he ended up getting turned down, he was okay with that. He needed to go somewhere else and pastor, he went there. Paul dies, Tychicus still going strong, serving the church in Ephesus. Certainly going to give him encouragement. He went to Ephesus after Timothy, by the way. He relieved Timothy from Ephesus. He learned that at the end of 2 Timothy, Paul describes that. This is the life of a faithful minister of the Lord. Not necessarily esteemed by men, but by Christians beloved. Not necessarily remembered in the pages of world history, but remembered by the Lord. You wonder, why does God give us somebody like Tychicus in the Bible? Like, why do we get to learn about him? And I think that's because, you know, I can't relate to the Apostle Paul. You know, I read 2 Corinthians. It's probably my favorite book in the Bible. I read it a lot. And I learn from Paul, and I love Paul's leadership. And I, I just, I love his logic, and I love his sense of humor and his sarcasm. And I resonate with so much of the Apostle Paul. But I recognize, like, He's an actual apostle. I'm not. Like there's some differences here. He had a vision from the Lord and, and all this. I mean, I'm not going to be the apostle Paul. And I think that's where we are as a church. You know, you look at somebody like that and you're like, yeah, I'm not Paul. It's hard to relate to Paul. And John MacArthur always says his hero and his model and his mentor in the faith is the apostle Paul. And I hear him say that and I, and I understand what he means, but sometimes I feel like overwhelmed by that. But Tychicus, on the other hand, I can relate to this dude. <laughs> like, you just got to show up and love Jesus and be faithful. Be willing to serve wherever the Lord directs you. And the Lord remembers that, and you're beloved by people when you do that. Lord, we're thankful for the model of Tychicus, and I pray that he would be an example to people here tonight. Lord, we don't want to put ourselves forward 
We want to serve you in whatever opportunities you lay before us. As Paul told the Romans, not everybody has the same gifts. Peter described some as having the gifts of speaking and some as the gifts of serving. Paul told the, the Romans, some serve with their, everyone serves with their love, but some serve with their words and some serve with their hands. Paul told the Corinthians that the mouth ought not to covet the eye or the eye, the hand or the thumb. Lord, we are all one body. We all serve together. We all serve in our different ways. And yet it's our desire that we would all be faithful. Would you pray for faithfulness in our service, whether it's with our mouths or with our hands? We pray that the commonality would be our hearts, that we would be faithful to, to one place, to one people for a long time. We'd be faithful to love and to serve. We know there's different ways that's manifest. Tychicus never stayed in one place for too long, but was faithful to Paul, whereas others stayed in one place their whole life and saw other pastors and missionaries coming and going. We know the examples themselves vary from person to person, especially at Emmanuel Bible Church. We know you leave some people here for a long time. I think of somebody like Pastor Steve, who's been here just for decades, faithfully serving the church. We're thankful for, for men like him and uh, his wife, Kathy, who have grown up here and given their lives to our church. I think of other people who are here just for a few years and they move along. I pray for them that they would be faithful in whatever opportunities you lay before them. They'd be faithful to go to Crete if that's your will or to go to Ephesus if that's your will or to Troas or to Philippi, wherever the door opens that they would go. Lord, we pray for our own faithfulness that it wouldn't waver for our own faithfulness that it wouldn't, we wouldn't be distracted, but that we would stay resolute serving alongside you for your cause and for your glory, which you know will ultimately be for our good. We give you thanks for this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now for a parting word from Pastor Jesse Johnson. Thanks for joining us. If you're in the Washington, D.C. area, I would love to see you at Emmanuel Bible Church. For more information on our church or our current service times, go to ibc.church. For more information about the Master Seminary and their Washington, D.C. location, go to tms.edu. I hope this resource has been a blessing to you, and it helps you seek the Lord daily, serve others around you, and share the gospel with boldness.